hard-hitting questions coming out of yesterday. You know, I think one of them was uh, whether or not the horns down is going to be 15-yard penalty uh, in the SEC in the future. That it was very important to finish uh, and to collect the trophy and to win 10 games and win a game on New Year's Day and all those things. And uh, believe me, we had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. I said in my press conference back in December that I didn't feel like there was anything at South Carolina that we lacked to be a championship program, that we had everything that we needed. I am even more convinced of that now after being there for seven months. So there's a report in the Houston Chronicle that, that Texas and Oklahoma are inquiring about joining the SEC. <laughs> I bet they would. <laughs> War Eagle. Feels good to say that. All right. <clears throat> I didn't even remember that 12 years ago, but now that you say that, because I believe there was something about someone didn't have Tebow first team all SEC. And as usual, I was accused of that. So <laughs> I brought my ballot to, to show everyone, to show Urban. Um, so. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brad. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And no surprise, it happened again. I gotta know better at this point in time to not promise Cousin Shane back on the show because... Hey, as soon as I do that, he backs out. That's what happened yet again. And we finally got our SEC East over and unders to discuss. But no worry, he's he's promised this time. He's going to be on the next episode. I'm going to share these numbers here in just a minute. But, uh, you know, that our SEC West over-under talk, that was a great discussion. So we're going to do the same for the SEC East on the next episode. But for this one, reached out to my buddy Brian Stoltz covers the Auburn Tigers for Auburn Sports, and he's going to give us a recap of what happened on the Plains this spring. Like I said, we got some over-unders, we've got some week one gambling lines, and we've also got a little bit of news and notes around the SEC. So this is going to be a loaded show, should be a lot of fun. But before we get to all that news and notes, hey, if we can, we'd love to start with something fun. And this was pretty interesting. I mean, it this certainly caught my attention here, but Coach O made the trip up to Notre Dame to see the first-year head coach Marcus Freeman coaching up the Fighting Irish, who, of course, replaced Brian Kelly. And Coach O tried to hire Marcus Freeman, heading into his final season there. He said no, of course, and he had to hire Deronta Jones, who – I thought by the end of uh, his first season in Baton Rouge, he was doing a hell of a job for the Tigers' defense. But interestingly, when Brian Kelly got the job, tried to hire Marcus Freeman once again there at LSU. But, uh, of course, you're not going to turn down a head coaching job to be a a SEC defensive coordinator. So that explains why Coach O was at Notre Dame, the connection there with Marcus Freeman. But some pretty interesting comments here. Maybe he didn't mean anything by it, but, you know, I just kind of, Caught my attention for sure. So let's kick it over to Coach O talking to uh, the Notre Dame team here during spring practice. What a tremendous, tremendous university you have here. What a great coach and what a great coaching staff you have. 
some of the best players in the country are right here in this group. I don't know when it's going to happen, but with this staff and this team, you're going to win it all. You're going to pick up the truth. Right, when it's going to happen, I don't know. I can't tell you that. How bad do you want it? You don't have to wait for it. Why somebody else needs to be better than you? I'll tell you what. Physicality, use it. There's other team spirit, use it. So for everything Brian Kelly has accomplished, what was the one thing that he didn't get done during his time at Notre Dame? Of course, win that elusive national championship. Now Coach O is out here saying the next guy, Marcus Freeman, who's yet to coach a game as a head coach, is going to get it done with this uh, this coaching staff, this team. And, I mean, is this a slight to uh, the guy that's replacing Coach O in Baton Rouge? I don't know. I'm just saying. So it, it's just interesting to see this Coach O talking up uh, the new Notre Dame coach with the old Notre Dame coach in Baton Rouge taking over for his old job there, his dream job, leading the LSU football program. But I just thought that was hilarious. But, hey, on with the show and – like we've been teasing here, these came out on Tuesday. I've just, people have been getting on me. When are these SEC East over-under win totals going to come out from the win Las Vegas sports book? But I was just going by what they were telling me. Now they're officially out. And we are going to have Matt Lindeman, who's the odds maker for the win sports book, to come on to talk not only the SEC East, but the SEC West lines. One or two of these, those West lines have shifted already since we talked about them about a week ago here. So without further ado, let's get to the SEC East lines. And then, like I said, Shane and I on the next episode, are going to go in a lot deeper dive and give our confidence levels for over and under and all that. But no surprise here right off the bat. Let's start at the top. The Georgia Bulldogs, the defending national champions, same over-under win total as the Alabama Crimson Tide, 11.5. So, of course, you're just betting, is Georgia going to go undefeated in the regular season, or are they going to drop a game? That's There's no in-between on this over-under. So, again, this only counts regular season win totals, does not count bowl games, does not count SEC championship potential appearances here. So, for Georgia, 11.5 is the over-under. Next on the docket, Tennessee, not a huge surprise to see there, but certainly Kentucky, you can make a a case that Kentucky, who just finished second in the East, should be there. But Tennessee, eight and a half, according to the win sports book here, over under win total, only two games that they have Tennessee as a massive underdog in, Alabama and Georgia. Third on the docket here, Kentucky with an over under of eight. So just right under the Vols was just that half game with uh, I'm sure a big part of that is the fact that Kentucky is traveling to Tennessee. Not saying they can't beat the Vols on the road. They've done it before, but that's probably your difference between eight and a half for Tennessee and eight for Kentucky. We'll have Matt Lindemann on the show again to kind of give more in-depth thought on uh, where they set these lines. And then here, this may surprise particularly people in Columbia Florida Gators next on the docket here, over under seven wins in Billy Napier's first season. We had Zach Goodall on the show of uh, Sports Illustrated, allgators.com. That's right where he put the number seven. So 
pretty interesting there from the Florida Gators. And I can hear the seething anger from Gamecock fans. You're next on the docket. Six, which is right where I thought this line would be. I'm not saying the Gamecocks are only going to win six games, but I figured the guys in Las Vegas, that's basically where they put it. Over under six for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Same number you won last season. Again, this does not count bowl wins. So that's how many the Gamecocks won. I'm just saying this SEC East is going to be competitive as hell with Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, and South Carolina. And we cannot write off the Missouri Tigers, who I think the win has got uh, Mizzou a little bit too low here. They've got that over under at five for the Missouri Tigers with four games the non-conference and Vanderbilt Missouri should win they're going to be massive favorites in those ball games so if that's the way you're looking at this the Missouri's only got to beat two other opponents I think that may be uh, the lock of the week right there Missouri over under five and then last but but not least here Vanderbilt this one I kind of like as well one and a half they've got Vandy as an underdog against Hawaii in the opener. They've got Vandy as a two-touchdown underdog on the road at Northern Illinois. And believe it or not, 50-point underdog at Georgia in Athens. So, I mean, Vanderbilt's not beating Georgia. But I think they can beat a couple of teams next season. And, uh, yeah, one and a half, I mean, that's, that is just pathetically low. I thought it was going to be around three. Three and a half is what I thought when I projected these numbers for Vanderbilt a little over a month ago. So, again, Cousin Shane and I will be breaking these down further in depth. We're going to go on a, on a deep dive on the next episode. So, we'll be back to break down these win over under for the SEC East. And then on the next episode, we're going to have Matt Lindemann, the guy that actually set these lines for the win sportsbook in Las Vegas, to give us a breakdown. But, hey, that's not the only gambling lines we have for the show. Week one. Gambling lines from the William Hill Sportsbook out of Las Vegas. And here, this is where you find true value when you want to bet on games. It's these future ones. Once the season starts shaking out, these odds makers have a very, very, very good idea of what the line should be. I mean, they're just uncanny how they nail these things down. But right here, this is where you get your value because they just don't know what's coming with some of these teams. It's a lot of what they saw last season, and all that. So, hey, there may be some real, real value in these week one lines, and we've already touched on two of them, but they've updated them. Georgia, 15-point favorite over Oregon in Atlanta in the season opener. I believe that number was 13.5 when they first put it out. So, again, Georgia, you're getting more points there. And the other one that we've, I believe we've discussed before, LSU, versus Florida State in New Orleans. LSU was, if I'm not mistaken, a three-point favorite, now listed as a four-point favorite. So that's moved slightly. Now there's two games we have yet to hit on. They just debuted over at William Hill. Utah at Florida. The Gators favored by one point. That's interesting because, again, Utah just went to the Rose Bowl. A lot of people are going to be expecting Utah to make that the trip across country and come on down to Gainesville and get them a win in the first game of the Billy Napier era. But good luck when that heat and humidity starts kicking up in the swamp. So there might be some really good value there with Florida because, hell, 
<laughs> all you got to do is win by two points, pull that upset, and you get that win. Now, how about this one for Razorback fans? Cincinnati traveling to Fayetteville, and the Razorbacks getting that respect right out the gate. Eight and a half point favorites at home over a team that went to the college football playoff last season. So just wanted to throw those out at you. Those are the only week one SEC lines from the William Hill Sportsbook that we have at this time. And as soon as we get some more, we'll let you know. And one more uh, little nugget here of info caught my attention on Tuesday morning. I want to give this guy credit. I've had him on the show a number of times. He's outstanding. Adam McClintock, also known as the CFB professor. He has put out a top 40 power rankings for, he's listed all one through 40, but I'm just going to list uh, the SEC teams that he's got here. And again, if you if you missed those episodes, I highly recommend you go back and check them out. We're going to have him back on the show during the preseason to break down some of his projections. But what Adam does over there at CFB Professor, he this these are not just opinions. He has a computer model that a team in the SEC has used to help hire a head coach and many others that have hired assistant coaches. He has got clients at every level at the Power 5 level as well as uh, the G5 level. So, you know, he runs a very successful firm over there. But what he does, where these rankings come from, he's using his model to grade coaching staffs, efficiency, roster talent, and returning production, among uh, a few other metrics. And he's, in, he's including additions and subtractions via the transfer portal. So I just want to make all that clear. This is not Adam's uh, own opinion. This is what his computer is saying, and he's just sharing it. So We've had a lot of SEC fans coming back at Adam for these rankings. So I just wanted to put that out there. These are not my rankings, and really they're not even Adam's. They're the, his computer model. But right off the bat, no surprises at the top of the list. He's got Alabama number two in the country, only Ohio State rated higher than the Crimson Tide, according to Adam's model. Number three, the Georgia Bulldogs. Again, no surprise with that one. Now here's where things get a little interesting. Texas A&M, number five. Them Aggie fans will be happy with that. Now, here's where the controversy kind of got rolling here. Number 12, Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin, can he do it again there? Get to that 10-win plateau. According to Adam's model, signs are pointing yes to Ole Miss having another great season despite all the turnover. Now, how about this? Number 13, LSU in Brian Kelly's first season there. In Baton Rouge, that would be, you know, pretty surprising if they were able to finish that high. Maybe I'm underrating the LSU Tigers at this point in time. But how about this? Number 14, the Florida Gators. Ooh, buddy. SEC East fans were not happy with that when they saw that. So maybe Florida really is that next tier behind Georgia to contend for the SEC East title right under, immediately out the gate under Billy Napier. We'll see. But Tennessee, number 15, right behind the Florida Gators. So that's a pretty interesting 12, 13, 14, 15, all SEC teams. And then the last two rated by Adam McClintock here, number 29, Arkansas. It's probably much too low for the Razorbacks. And then Kentucky, number 40. So no South Carolina, no Mississippi State, 
that's pretty surprising. When we're, we're talking top 40, I assume uh, South Carolina and Mississippi State just missed the, the cut there. Uh, but I ought to reach out to Adam and, and see what he's got to say about that. All right, one more thing I wanted to hit on before getting to our interview with uh, Brian Stoltz of Auburn Undercover. Sticking in that same state, let's kick it on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Where the Crimson Tide got a little bonus here, bonus addition to the roster on Tuesday because Vanderbilt offensive tackle Tyler Sheen, this is a guy we've referenced several times on the show, played in 10 games last season for the Commodores, got two seasons of eligibility remaining an offensive tackle prospect that LSU was after, Kentucky was after, I believe Ole Miss was after. I know Tennessee was after. I mean, this guy had an offer list that was very, very impressive. He's continuing his career at Tuscaloosa, going to play with Bryce Young and company. And, uh, you know, this is a big pickup for the Crimson Tide because that this is – they got a new offensive line coach. They've been – they've lost both their starting tackles. And they just don't have the numbers that they're used to having on the offensive line – down there in Tuscaloosa. And that is something that uh, Bryce Young and credit Nick Saban for letting his quarterback meet with the media here a couple times during spring practice. But the reigning Heisman Trophy winner was asked about this on Tuesday, picking up former Vanderbilt offensive tackle Tyler Sheen. Here's Bryce Young. We heard from uh, Tyler Steen today saying he was going to be transferring to Alabama from Vanderbilt. Just what's it like to add an offensive lineman um, at this point in the process? Yes, yeah, it's, it's really big. Um, anytime we can, um, you know, get help at a position like that, it's huge. Uh, this spring has been really, really tough on our offensive linemen um, with us having the small amount of numbers that we've had throughout practice. I'm super proud of those guys and how they've competed, how they've worked. Um, the amount of linemen we've had and the amount of reps they've gotten is something I've never seen before. And uh, they've done it all without complaining. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, when spring's over, we're going to get uh, Darren E. We're going to uh, get James back. And then now we're going to add one more. So it's definitely going to help our, our depth. Um, and I'm excited for, uh, for him to come in. So, you know, I'm, I'm just excited. And, uh, you know, I, I trust us. And that's doing the right thing. But that wasn't the only noteworthy comment there from Bryce Young. Another position of need there for Tuscan in Tuscaloosa this offseason is receiver. Now, they got plenty of talented guys. Of course, Ajay Hall in the transfer portal now. He ain't coming back based on, uh, you know, Nick Saban's comments on has no idea, doesn't seem to care what happens to Ajay Hall after uh, whatever went on behind the scenes. But we know we're getting Jermaine Burton coming into a money year, leaving the defending national champions for Alabama. You know, he's making a business decision there. His numbers should explode in this offense going from, uh, you know, Stetson Bennett to Bryce Young as his quarterback. You got to think Jermaine Burton is going to be locked into one of the starting roles. But, you know, Bryce Young comments there, pretty fired up about uh, the receivers they have on hand. Well, the good news could could be continuing here for the Crimson Tide because a receiver just went into the transfer portal here on Tuesday and – Rumor has it he's headed to Alabama, so he's already got a destination in mind, and that's former Louisville receiver Tyler Harrell, who apparently was the fastest player on Louisville's team, and he he had 18 catches, 253 yards, six touchdowns. Those six touchdowns led Louisville last season, so you're getting a productive player potentially. It's unfair to to compare this guy to Jamison Williams, who 
you know, he just tore his ACL. He's probably still going to be a first-round pick. He was that damn good last season for the Crimson Tide. But if this Harrell can fill a similar role when it just comes to the vertical passing game that Jamison Williams was able to just torch opponents opposing defenses with last season, if this Harrell can fill that role, I mean, that's just another piece of the puzzle for the Crimson Tide who are looking to – and let's not forget, they're the reigning SEC champions – Fell just short in the national championship game after falling to, uh, of course, the Georgia Bulldogs. But, man, Alabama, they're very choosy with who they go after in the transfer portal. And we're talking about five five or six key impact players that uh, may very well all be starters that the Alabama Crimson Tide are getting out of the transfer portal this offseason. But that's enough Alabama talk for you Auburn fans that showed up to hear what Brian Stoltz of AuburnSports.com had to say about uh, the lessons he learned from going into year two of the Brian Harson era after spring practice concluded this weekend. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by my man Brian Stoltz. Gotta give him a follow on Twitter, at Brian J. Stoltz. I love his, uh, his Twitter banner is worth Checking him out just for that. It's great sense of humor, O'Brien. And he, of course, covers the Auburn Tigers for AuburnSports.com, part of the Rivals Network. Brian, thank you so much for taking some time and, and talking some Auburn football with me. Absolutely. Always my pleasure. Well, I got to start when we're talking Auburn football. We we just we have to start here with the quarterback competition. And mm-hmm. I know last time we had you on the show, you were very high on the fact that uh, – you know, Zach Calzada seemed to be the guy that was probably going to win the job. Now, he didn't get to go in spring. He was he was limited. So, you know, you kind of assume maybe it was T.J. Finley's time to shine. But based on what I've heard and based on what I saw in the spring game, and I know you covered it for AuburnSports.com, mm-hmm. Robbie Ashford making a move there. Do, do you think he has positioned himself to be at least in legitimate conversation for the starting quarterback job? Oh, absolutely, and uh, you know he was pretty accurate on eight uh, eight. It wasn't a, it wasn't a typical spring game. Uh, there was no contact and things like that, so we didn't really get to see all of what he's capable of, and that's probably a good thing because, uh, as Brian Harson said, he, when he, when things go live with uh, uh, Robbie Ashford, you didn't really see how athletic and uh, how elusive he is in the pocket. Uh, he was he was very 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 accurate and efficient with the ball, uh, but yeah, he definitely put on a show. Uh, TJ Finley, not so much. I think he kind of took a step down, and uh, he's still being praised for his leadership this spring, but um, he's just not accurate with the ball anymore, uh, or anymore, but not accurate with the ball at all. Um, And, uh, you know, with Calzada, you know, we don't know what he's capable of yet, but I still put him and Ashford as the two leaders right now. Uh, We'll see more Calzada this fall once he totally heals from that. surgery that he had and uh yeah it'll be a good competition we probably won't know until uh maybe game one to see who's going to be the starter so uh it'll be something to watch all fall and maybe all summer now can you quickly give me a little the backstory on Robbie Ashford because I know he's an Oregon transfer he's got Mm -hmm. no stats that I could find and and I think he was playing baseball up there but my understanding he's he's a local kid there uh, in Alabama, can you can you give the the listeners a little insight into who Robbie Ashford is? Yeah, he uh, he he 
uh, played at uh, Hoover High School, which is one of the powerhouses in Alabama. Uh, and uh, he, was, he signed with Oregon. Uh, he didn't play. He didn't see any action during the last two seasons, but he did play baseball for him. So, you know, kind of getting that rust off of him, uh, trying to see what he can do live after, you know, not playing for two years uh, was interesting to see and uh, something they'll see, you know, going into the summer and fall. Uh, but I think he has a lot of upside. I think he has a lot of ability. I mean, with this offensive line coming back, I think it, it totally helps to have someone who can scramble. And Finley's not that type of quarterback. Uh, neither is Calzada, I don't think. But um, uh, with him, he can, you know, get out of the pocket, uh, escape some uh, pressure. And, uh, you know, that's something that uh, will be needed from it, uh, the quarterback in the system because, I mean, this offensive line, as experienced as they are, they're just not that good at pass blocking. And uh, we'll see if, uh, you know, if he can uh, come in and win the job. Mm-hmm. Now, was there any red flags there from the spring game with, uh, you know, a real lack of success on the ground? Now, I know it, it was a unique format. It, it was a very quick game. And several mm-hmm. offensive linemen did not participate. Key offensive linemen, I should say. Uh, so uh, I'm taking all that into consideration. But uh, any, yeah. any concern on your level that, uh, you know, the, the ground game is not where it needs to be right now? Well, uh, there's, you know, there's a couple of factors there. I, I, it is a little concerning that they weren't able to run the ball a little bit, especially with Tank Kelsey and stuff like that. Got to, got to also mention that uh, Jarquez Hunter is out for the spring uh, due to an injury uh, on, on his, uh, I think, left foot, right foot, one of the foots. So he wasn't in there either, and uh, I think it was more about uh, seeing what the quarterbacks could do uh, in front of the fans and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if they can't run the ball with Tank Biggs, Bigsby, I mean, they won't be able to run the ball with anybody. So um, there is a little concern. Um, uh, they want to go back to a downhill running game uh, with the, like uh, Keesaw, the new offensive coordinator said. And, uh, you know, they're, they're splitting uh, Tank out wide and things like that in the wide receiver formation and things like that. And, uh, yeah, so uh, there is a little concern, but uh, I wouldn't put too much into uh, what happened on Saturday. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, using Tank more as a receiver. We did see that in the spring game. We know Auburn's got a lot of quality tight ends headlined by uh, John Samuel Shanker. Yeah. But outside of that, I mean, uh, do they have many quality receivers? Because the best receiver, just in my opinion, on Saturday was Sean Jackson, and, and I believe he's a walk-on. Uh, he's actually a running back, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, are you talking about Shed Jackson or – yeah, yeah, I'm Sean sorry. Jackson. Shed Jackson. Yeah, he's a fifth-year senior. Um, he uh, he, he uh, had a decent season last year. Uh, he decided to come back. Um, he is de- definitely the leading receiver for this team right now. Um, he um, he's become more of a leader too in the in the uh, uh, locker room. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully, he can have a breakout year. But yeah, the receiver position is wide open. I mean, you got uh, Dawson, you have Johnson, you have. Uh, Landon King, who's uh, making the switch from tight end to wide receiver this year, lots thought of what he can accomplish there. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of inexperience there, and uh, a lot of uh, potential for these these players to make a major impact this year because they just have no experience at that position other than Shad Jackson. Mm-hmm. Now, what can you tell us about uh, Auburn's got a young safety emerging here, Caleb Wooten? I know he's he's his brother is also on the team. Everybody knows his brother there. But uh, Caleb, do you think he's going to make an impact here for Auburn's defense in the uh, defensive backfield? 
I think from day one, he's made an impact on this team. I, he's come in in the spring practice, and I think the first time we ever got to speak to uh, Brian Hartson, he mentioned that Caleb uh, made it uh, uh, forced a turnover and maybe uh, made an interception. I've seen him make a couple of interceptions in practice as well. I think he'll be a definite a player on the field uh, for the Auburn this, uh, this season. Uh, he's come in. He's worked hard. I mean, he, has a, he has the benefit of knowing what it takes from his brother. Uh, Kobe, uh, who's defense lineman, and uh, yeah, so um, I definitely see Caleb making some major impact for uh, Auburn this season. Now, I think Derek Hall. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the SEC. He's outstanding, mm-hmm. but uh, you know Auburn really needs someone to step up opposite him to to really have a formidable pass rush. And I'm hearing good things about the young guy Dylan Brooks. Uh, what can you tell us about the spring that Brooks had? Uh, Brooks had a pretty good spring. I, I would also put out, you know, you got Eco Leota uh, coming back and Marcus Harris, who also can uh, step up for them. Brooks has been a pretty big name this uh, fall, I mean, this spring. And, um, you know, Derek Hall, watching him in practice, what impresses me the most is he's taking hands-on leadership with his team. He'll move the pylons. He'll move uh, the tackling dummies to the right spot. If somebody runs a uh, route or the drill wrong, he'll call him back. He doesn't the coach doesn't have to call him back. Terry Cole calls him back, and he makes him restart the drill. I mean, it's not to his uh, uh, liking. So uh, it's kind of funny to watch him uh, grow as a leader. But, yeah, Brooks is uh, uh, becoming, uh, you know, he's still young, uh, still has to put some weight on. But, you know, at the edge position, they need all the help they can get because it's really thin right now. So um, we'll see uh, if he can make an impact this fall. Now, I think the the last time we talked to you, Brian, I think Auburn was still searching for, a, you know, to fill both its coordinator positions. And what the, they, they ended up doing, of course, is promoting guys from within, guys that know Harson have been with him for a number of years. So I just want to ask you, what what are your thoughts, you know, a couple weeks into it now that uh, they've got a camp under their belt with uh, uh, Eric Kisau? I hope I'm saying that right. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, uh-huh. Jeff Schmetting. What What do you think of those hires by Brian Harson and what that says about the uh, the Auburn program? Uh, I think it's a smart move by Harson. I think if he goes, if he wants to win, he's got to win with his guys, and he's he's comfortable with those guys. And as you know, I mean, working with somebody that you know that you're familiar with, that knows you, knows how you operate, is always going to be a good thing because uh, bringing in somebody else from the outside. Would have been, a, I think, a total disaster again. Uh, he likes these guys. He's coached with them before. He's won with them before. So I, I like the hire. I like the hire by Harson because it's his guys. And if he's going to go down with the ship, might as well go down with your guys. So um, you know uh, how it, how it will work out. Uh, we don't we don't know. Uh, the defense should be pretty good. Now the offense with Keysaw this year, who knows? I mean. It all starts with the offensive line, like I said, and, you know, that's a very, very weak spot for Auburn the past few years. And um, But, you know, when, it's funny because when Auburn is written off, that's when they make some noise. So uh, it'll be an interesting fall to see if they can um, uh, make some noise in the SEC and um, uh, maybe get Harson some job security here. Mm-hmm. Now, when they make those promotions, so, of course, then there's openings on the staff and – you know, Harson, I, I, to his credit, I think he got he nailed a lot of these hires. Christian Robinson has been at, 
he was doing a great job for Florida for a long time. Uh, Jimmy Brumbaugh has been all over the league coaching defensive line, a former Auburn lineman. And then Ike Hilliard, of course, everybody knows that name, 20-plus years in the NFL. Any uh, early thoughts on those hires and, and how they could help Auburn uh, on the field and in recruiting? I'm especially impressed with Christian Robinson. Uh, we got to sit down with him a couple weeks ago, and he is just a bright, bright, bright man. Uh, he's very uh, confident. He, he knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, obviously he knows what he's doing and where he wouldn't have the job. But, um, yeah, he was very, very uh, uh, confident, knows uh, what he's talking about, how he operates. His recruiting approach is probably what's best, uh, best for the program because he uh, can go – I'm guessing he can go into any room and speak to anybody and, and win, the, win their loyalty because uh, he won me over. So, uh, but yeah, I killed. I mean, anybody, any fan of the SEC back in the '90s knows what he's capable of uh, as a receiver. But as a coach, you know, he's coached at the highest level with uh, some teams in the NFL, and uh, having that experience at the top level, uh, coming down to Auburn, and you know, kind of teaching these guys what it takes to uh, make it to the next level is, is is a very good step. I think those were home run hires by him. Also, like Rock Bellantoni, the uh, new um, uh, special teams and the edge coach. I've uh, known him since his days at Washington State. He's a great, great leader, great teacher, great man. Uh, I think uh, Hartson made uh, just grand slam with all these hires. So um, I was really impressed with uh, what he did with the uh, open positions. Yeah, and last thing I, I wanted to ask you about the coaching staff, Brian. I know you wrote this at AuburnSports.com, but you know a, a new feel there in spring because we're you know we're done with the Zoom interviews. You got to be in person mm-hmm. with Brian Harson. You talked about you know, how, how badly that was needed down there on the plains. Uh, can you kind of retell that story and, and just getting eye-to-eye with Brian Harson and, and how that may have kind of helped him down there at Auburn? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Zoom calls are very, very difficult. You can't get a read on anybody. And since he started, since he took the job, it's all about Zoom. We haven't met with him in person once. And, you know, it's hard to get I – mean, you know how Zoom calls are. I mean, you can, you can, you can definitely, like uh, – uh, fall asleep or uh, lose the attention span really quickly. But in person, he's very dynamic. He's very personable. If you ask him a question, he's going to stare at you when you make eye contact the entire time and uh, answer your question. Sometimes maybe too long. Uh, he does have a lot of word cabbage there, but uh, uh, he is very, very, uh, uh, very approachable, very uh, personable in person. Uh, and it was a delight to see. I, I thought, I, yeah, I wrote that. Uh, it was it was a different. It's a different Brian Harson than, than we got to know over Zoom. Um, because just meeting him in person, seeing how he is, uh, seeing how he reacts with players and things like that, it's uh, it was a delight to see. So, yeah, I wrote that as a Brian Harson that Auburn fans should get behind. That should happen. I, I think uh, a lot of a lot of people will rally around him because of what happened this off season. But you know, the bottom line is he has to win, and uh, that's the bottom line at Auburn. So, um, it, but yeah. I, I was really impressed with him uh, a couple times we met him in person. And, you know, I think, uh, I think it's best for him that he gets to go out there and meet with us and went went over some of the media, I would say as well, uh, because, you know, that we can be your friends or we can be your enemy sometimes. So um, it was, it was great to see. And uh, I think a lot of people took a took, took that out of it with that. It was um, very uh, nice to actually get to talk to him in person. All right. Last thing for you, Brian, I really appreciate all your time. But uh, how much of an advantage do you think it could be 
for this Auburn team, right out the gate, the schedule is what I'm looking at. Two home games, Mercer and San Jose State. And, you know, considering all the moving pieces on the planes and, and you don't know who your quarterback is, you're, you're looking for help all across the board. Getting off to a nice 2-0 and start before that big Penn State game, mm-hmm. how, how much could that really help this Auburn team in particular? Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely critical. This is one of those seasons where if they open on in a neutral side against, you know, Oregon or, you know, somebody like that, it would be, a, you know, it'd be hard to see them winning uh, on in a neutral side against a top team uh, like they have in the past. But, yeah, getting those wins against Mercer and San Jose State. San Jose State's not a pushover by any chance. But, um, yeah, getting those wins, getting uh, some good vibes and things like that, and then welcoming Penn State, which – Auburn can beat Penn State. I mean, they should have they should have beat them last year. Up in uh, up in college, well, state college, but uh, you know they fell just short. Um, yeah, and then having that at home, having a big time environment against a Big Ten team, uh, but being two and zero going in that game would be huge for this team because after all they've been through, uh, after a five game losing streak to end of the season, uh, some good things need to happen to this team uh, because. They, they need it, and they deserve it. So, um, yeah, that, that definitely helps. He's Brian Stoltz. Give him a follow at Brian J. Stoltz and check out all his outstanding work over at auburnsports.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Brian. I, I really appreciate our conversations. Absolutely. Anytime, my friends. All right, so just want to say thanks again to Brian for joining the show. As always, man, I really appreciate him. I've, I've, he's been on the show a number of times this off season, and he always delivers comes with the knowledge on them Auburn Tigers so cannot thank him enough and don't forget to give him a follow at Brian J Stoltz on Twitter he's an outstanding follow for all you Auburn fans and SEC fans out there he's covered the several teams in the league for a number of years so give Brian a follow for joining the show but hey that's going to do it for this episode as always I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out and fingers crossed I know I keep saying it, but Cousin Shane, he's vowed to be on the next episode. Going to be breaking down in much more detail these SEC East over-under win totals. Love to hear the big, the big Tennessee homers' thoughts on these numbers. And then we're going to finish the week strong with the Wind Casino's Matt Lindemann, who actually set these lines. So we got a lot of great content to finish the week out. But that's going to do it. We'll catch you on the next one.